Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today on the program, as part of UPR's Project Resilience, we're going to talk about how to be resilient with all that's happening with the coronavirus, including physical distancing. We'll also talk about how all of this is impacting children and individuals with disabilities. Our guests today include Vonda Jump Norman, USU Assistant Professor of Social Work and Director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place in Logan, Matthew Wappet, Director of the USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, and Kevin Webb, Associate Director of the iSystem Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies and a licensed social worker. We should mention Project Resilience is made possible in part by UPR members, the Utah State University Center for Persons with Disabilities, and the Family Place. Uh, so we bring in uh, Vonda Jump Norman. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. We appreciate you uh, joining us, and I think we're getting our other guests on the phone as we speak. So we'll start with you, uh, Vonda. Um, I, first of all, I'm curious how how all this is affecting you. Are you working from home? Um, yes, I am. I have a great opportunity to be able to do that, unlike a lot of people. Uh, yeah, so some people are not able to. Uh, here's one example. I mean, I have to be in the studio, <laughs> uh, but yeah. we're, but uh, others, many others at UPR are, are working from home as they're able to. Um, we want to. I, I want to start with the, this idea of resilience. We have a project resilience. You work on this, of course. Uh, give us your definition of resilience. You know, for me, resilience is is doing well in the face of something that's very difficult. And, you know, the outcome's not necessarily given that you're going to do well, but you do well. And, and so something is difficult, and, and the outcome is not known. So, uh, you know, I think this would apply very directly to the coronavirus and all the, the restrictions. Absolutely. We have a lot of uncertainty here, and we also have a lot of resilience that we're seeing everywhere in our communities. I want to talk to you about that. We'll welcome in our other guests right now. We bring on Matthew Wappa, Director of the USU Center for Persons with Disabilities. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you being with us. And Kevin Webb, who's Associate Director of the iSystem Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies and a licensed social worker. Kevin Webb, welcome to the program. Thank you. We were going to have Derek Tullifson from uh, the, the USU Department of uh, Sociology, Social Work, and Anthropology, but he's traveling, and he said his... his uh, uh, his cell uh, service was a little spotty, so we uh, <clears throat> we'll uh, we'll get him another time. Uh, so uh, back to uh, Vonda Jump Norman. Um, uh, tell us again some examples of that you've been seeing of resilience. You know, just doing things for kind neighbor for neighbors who are not able to get out, going grocery shopping, taking them notes. There are families that are just thinking outside of the box and what they can do for their neighbors who might be a little bit more isolated so they still feel very connected. Mm. And this is, uh, I guess, a big problem, a big hurdle to overcome is this physical distancing. We've been calling it social distancing. um, We we don't want to be social distanced, uh, right? So we have to be physically distant, but what are some ways you might suggest that that we close the gap socially while we're physically distant? You know, it's interesting. I had a call last week where somebody coined the term distance socializing. And this is true, that even though we can't be physically together with somebody, that doesn't mean that they can't know that we're not thinking about them. We can't be reaching out, having video chats. Um, you know, there are friends who are joining with each, with each other on FaceTime and having multiple kids together. Last night I did that with my um, with my brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, my husband, and, and and niece, and we just had a ball. Yeah, that that does sound like fun. We we've been doing a bit of that as well. Uh, I want to turn to uh, Matthew Wappet. First of all, uh, how is this affecting you? Are you working from home or anything? <laughs> uh, I'm actually still in the office. So, um, but the, most of the rest of my staff are now working remotely here at the center. So, uh, but yeah, there's just probably a lot like you, Tom, there's some things I just cannot do from home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it seems a little lonely there as it does with with us at UPR. You know, there's ways to manage that as well. Yeah. Uh, how are you managing that? 
Well, we do, um, at least with the staff here, um, we've really upped our communication and kind of like Bonda was talking about earlier, um, we've really made an effort to try to touch base with everybody on a daily basis and then set up some more informal times to get together on video conference and otherwise so that people feel connected. Um, when you can't be in physical proximity with somebody, you really, really, really need to make a concerted effort to increase your your communication touch points because, um, yeah, people need that need that connection, and we we really underestimate, I think, how important physical proximity is. And so, when we don't have that, and we don't have those nonverbal cues or the ability to see somebody every day, um, you need to increase that other ways. Uh, so, so, give me some examples. How how do we do that? So, uh, well, I mean, like Vonda said, she's getting online and having visits with her uh, with her family. We're doing the same thing with our staff here. Where you know, typically, the, I don't have all staff meetings. We have them quarterly, but now I'm twice a week. I get on Zoom and uh, invite our entire staff here at the center to get online, and we have. Sort of, sort of answer questions, just touch base to make sure everyone's feeling like they know what's going on and and how things are happening. And then um, just daily email again. You know, be, when I'm seeing people on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't need to um, necessarily send as many emails. But now I send about a daily email just to check in and to provide people with updates, so that again they feel like they're in the loop because that physical distance can. Uh, very quickly make people feel like they're out of the loop and distanced and not, um, yeah, just aren't involved. And I want to loop back around and talk about how all this is affecting people with disabilities. So we'll get to that a little later in the program. I want to uh, loop in uh, Kevin Webb now, uh, Associate Director of the iSystem Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies and a licensed uh, social worker. Uh, I want to first ask you, uh, Kevin Webb, how is this affecting you? Are you, um, is this changing your daily routine? Well, yes, somewhat. Um, I uh, am working from home more now, and um, we do. I I was already uh, teaching all of my classes online, so I continue to do that. Continue to stay in touch, um, and uh, my family is is home now, and uh, you know they're not out and about. So um, you know we're having to um, you know coordinate what's going on there at home and. And um, you know, watch out for each other, take care of each other, and uh, do our best not to spread this virus. Uh, so, you know that I mean that's nice in one way. The family's all together, right? But there's uh, uh, it's an unusual situation. Yes, it is, and it does present some some challenges. You know, when people are are there all the time, and and and. Uh, they're there together more often. It can lead to conflict. It can lead to uh, increased uh, agitation, irritability, and it can be difficult for people at times. And so, it's important that we that we watch for that and and do things to um, help offset that and to help uh, each other stay uh, healthy mentally as well as physically. Uh, so, the I System Institute. Uh, tell us about that. Well, the iSystem Institute um, was started by a generous donation uh, from Stanley H. Block and Carolyn Bryant Block, and it was uh, established as a public service to USU students in larger communities and social units through the broadest outreach of education, training, and research using what we call the iSystem model, and uh, also known as the identity system, and that was... Uh, uh, discovered by Stanley H. Block, and the iSystem model provides the foundation for what we call mind-body bridging, which was also developed by the Blocks in the 19, late 1990s to optimize health and wellness and human performance. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about mind-body bridging and, and how that might apply to uh, what we're going through now. Well, thank you. Uh, mind-body bridging is based on what we call the identity system. The identity system attempts to define who we are in relation to the world. And so it develops what we call requirements or expectations of how you and your world should be at each moment. And when it's not that way, when it's not the way it's supposed to be, it then activates this I system. It becomes um, way overactive. It becomes challenged. And um, the I system then um, fills our mind full of clutter and our body full of tension. 
and it has a subsystem called the depressor that then kicks in and gives us messages about how we're not good enough and how we can't take things and fills our mind full of stories. And then a, another helper called the fixer then kicks in and tries to make it all better, tries to offset that. But the problem is, is it can't fix the depressor because the depressor is always saying it's still not good enough no matter what the fixer tries. And so it's just a vicious cycle when this identity system, which is really there to help identify us and help to, uh, uh, so we can individuate and separate ourselves from the rest of the world, it actually, when it's overactive, continues, it actually serves to isolate us and separate us even further. And so it's really important that we recognize when this identity system is doing this to us, and we use what we call mind-body bridging, which are a series of techniques to help diffuse the I system so that it's not so dominant, and so that we can experience that connection with humanity, with our source of goodness, healing, power, and wisdom with people around us. Are there are there special, I guess, blockers to this? Uh, is it especially difficult during times of physical distancing? Um, yes, it is. Um, when one of these requirements aren't met or get violated, such as I should be able to go out and play with my friends, and I can't go out and play with my friends, all of a sudden my body's full of tension, my mind's full of clutter. I've got all these stories playing in my head about what's going on. And so it's important that, that we recognize that, and that we're able to then recognize that it's just a thought, and we use thought labeling say it's just a thought. I'm just having this thought. We also look at the requirement of I should be able to go out and play with my friends, and we restate that as a personal preference. Gee, I would prefer to be able to go out and play with my friends. And I know I, I can't right now because of this, but I'd prefer to be able to do that. And so as we do this, we help to rest this eye system. We also use a technique called come to your senses which is uh, once we use these what we call metacognitive skills, which are thinking about thinking, such as restating a requirement as a personal preference and thought labeling, we then activate our senses by listening to background sounds or feeling the fabric of our clothing or feeling gravity's pull on us or, or feeling our feet as we walk. So that's why it's important to get out um, and, and practice social distancing, but at the same time get out in the outdoors and walk around and and fill the air, and and um, and then as these thoughts come to mind, we're able to recognize them for what they are, that they're created by this identity system, and we diffuse them. Uh, so are, are the resources, can people uh, go to a web website and get some of these details? Yes, we have a, a website at i-system.usu.edu, and um, th where they can they can get a, a little brief introduction here. There's also a book called Come to Your Senses uh, that it's an easy read that people can easily purchase off of Amazon. And um, we're also in the process of, of setting up uh, online work for USU students and, 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 and the like, people that uh, would like to learn some of these techniques. All right. Uh, so i-system.usu.edu. That's correct. I want to turn back to Vonda Jump Norman uh, and talk specifically about, um, you know, families all together, <laughs> which is great, but there are pressures when that's not the usual case and then, and people can go stir crazy and tensions rise. I understand, I was reading somewhere that, uh, unfortunately, uh, rates of abuse go up during times like this. Yes, this is very often true. You know, it is an unusual situation. And there's a lot of stress in the air because people people don't know what's going to be happening. There's uncertainty and how long we'll be at home, when will we be able to go out. And, you know, parents feel this tension. Kids feel this tension. Sometimes parents talk about it with their kids, and sometimes they just kind of talk about it in hush-hush tones. And, you know, what I would encourage parents to do is to talk about what's happening. You know, this is happening to all of us. We're in this together. And when we have young kids in particular, we want to talk about it in a simple way, using words that they can understand and, and just help them understand why we're washing our hands so much, why we're staying away from other people. It's just to keep everybody well. And the big thing really is to talk. And what we want to do is we want to have 
kids in particular feel safe to be able to talk about their questions, their feelings, their uncertainties, and, you know, and things that are hard right now. As we think about resilience for kids and adults, that ability to be heard, to tell our stories, whatever it is in that moment, and to feel supported. So to give support and to be able to feel that support, those those things in and of themselves create lasting effects of resilience into adulthood for our kids. And so even though it might be a little bit hard, because you're right, this is an unusual situation, and it's 24-7, and anybody who's been a parent knows that parenting is extremely difficult. You know, it's, it's extremely rewarding, and it has a lot of challenges as well. And so... You know, first of all, maybe parents creating a routine for their kids, you know, this general schedule of what we might do during the day so that the time is predictable for everybody. All of us feel safer when we have a predictable routine, when we know what's going to expect, what's going to happen. And in these uncertain times, that's even more important than ever. And, you know, one thing that I think about is the opportunities that are here. There are a lot of parents who are just creating really fun memories by doing silly things at home. They might, you know, kids these days are really into the TikTok app. So there are parents who are, who are getting on the TikTok app and, and doing it with their, their, you know, middle school age kids teenagers, and for younger kids, you know, just just doing things that are, are fun and, you know, going for nature walks, you know, a way to be outside, like Kevin said, just being outside helps to clear our, our, I don't know, emotions a little bit because we do have to tune into our senses. We see, we hear, we feel the breeze. You know, all these different things can help us to kind of regenerate. And so, you know, for me, one thing that I would think about, you know, I don't have young kids at home any anymore, but just those opportunities to, to have fun and to create new memories for our kids because, you know, kids right now, they they don't actually reach out for help. They don't say, I'm having a hard time. We see it through their behavior, right? We, we see, oh, my child's having a hard time because they're behaving this way. And sometimes it's because they need our attention because that's the number one reinforcement for most kids is getting a parent's attention. So when we can give them our attention in a positive way, or or for positive things rather than just focusing on what kids are doing wrong. We just create more positive memories and more positive behaviors as well. And in a few months, you know, we're going to be through the worst of this. We're learning more every single day. We see from what's happening in China and in South Korea in particular that there is an end to this opportunity of being at home so much with our kids. And so I hope that we can just make as many positive memories and and help keep, help all of us get through it better. I just want to do a follow-up. Uh, you, you said something that struck me, um, you know, because parents are, you, we can't afford, uh, we can't avoid feeling our feelings, right? And it might be right. tense, might be fearful. Um, but what you're saying, I, I think, is that... Uh, you know, don't cover that up. Talk about that with the, with the kids, I guess, in appropriate ways. Sure. I mean, and, you know, you might say, you know, this is, this is new. We're not used to doing this every single day. Sometimes it's hard for me because I'm used to being out with other adults and we have different types of conversation. And so there are times when it's hard for me and I'm a little bit frustrated um, and I'm working hard you know, to to deal with those emotions. 
but give each other support. You know, kids can, um, when kids are having these feelings, having adults who are there just to validate them. You know, we don't have to do anything about somebody's feelings. Just listening and validating those feelings and then trying to brainstorm together, well, what can we do? Mm. Can be really helpful for all. Yeah. Um, let me turn to Matthew Wappet. I want to um, want want to have you uh, talk about uh, how this is impacting specifically people with disabilities, and uh, and 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 how to help. <laughs> well, there's a. I, I'm glad you bring that up because that's one of the big, I think, overlooked issues uh, with this particular crisis. People with disabilities and the elderly um, are already at increased risk for social isolation for abuse and neglect Um, and in a situation like this where um, they are kind of they're not having that typical routine they're not having that daily interaction um, it can take a tremendous toll and the one thing that we're seeing that's really scary on a national level is that um, a lot of the proposals that are coming out from Congress and a lot of the other responses aren't really uh, taking the needs and rights of people with disabilities into account. Um, in fact, there's been a lot of calls on a national level for waivers of responsibility for caring for people with disabilities. In the most recent congressional package that's being considered uh, last week, um, you know, the there were teachers and others who were calling Congress saying, well, we can't accommodate the the needs of students with disabilities online if we're not in school, and so we shouldn't be responsible to teach them. Um, so we, we kind of see people with disabilities getting um, short shrift, I think, in some of this emergency response, and we've known that for a very, very long time. Uh, way back in Hurricane Katrina, we know that um, we realized that our disaster response systems are not terribly accommodating of the needs for people with disabilities. And a lot of the people who died in the Katrina um, incident were people with disabilities who were isolated, stuck in their home, uh, and just didn't have the supports to get out. So anyway, this is a very similar sort of a situation. Um, One of the big issues is that people with disabilities, um, especially adults with disabilities, often receive um, services on a daily basis outside of the home. Uh, through day habilitation support, supported employment, things like that. Um, And a lot of times those occur in large um, congregate settings um, with lots of people with disabilities. Um, And given the current restrictions uh, around group size and everything else, a lot of these disability service providers aren't able to uh, deliver those services, which means that Um, the therapy, the supports that a person with a disability would typically be receiving are not occurring now. And a lot of people with disabilities are uh, at home uh, with their families uh, or not. In in some cases, they don't live with their families and they're they're isolated. And that sort of disruption of routine uh, and and sort of that support they get on a daily basis can be incredibly uh, stressful for a person uh, with the disability. It's also stressful for the family and caregivers as well. Um, you know, we've heard on a national level, um, you know, there's children and adults who have uh, challenging behaviors. And if as a family you rely upon a service provider to uh, give you respite and to sort of provide care during the day so that you can have a break or that you can go to work or anything else, but you don't have access to those services now, um, it can be really, really um, overwhelming for a family um, not having those typical support. So when you think about, you know, what, what can we do? Well, if people with disabilities can't get the supports that they need and they are isolated in their homes, um, really thinking about, you know, are there people in your community who have adults with disabilities, who have children with disabilities, who need maybe a break, are there ways that you could reach out and, um, and, and help provide some of that respite? There are proposals in place now uh, to allow a little more flexibility around the requirements of providing these services. Um, but really, you know, you can imagine if you have a child with significant behavior issues um, and they're now, you know, they were getting therapy and other things all throughout the week, but now they're at home 24-7. Um, <laughs> 
that that sort of stress on the family again leads to increased risk of abuse, um, neglect, and and just tremendous stress on the family. So, really finding opportunities um, as a community to reach out and to uh, try to help some of these families who may be struggling with their adults or children with disabilities at home right now can be really, really important to helping them maintain their mental health. Um, but And again, lowering that risk of abuse and neglect. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but <laughs> there is, it, this is a really, we, we all thrive on routine. We all, uh, routine is, as Vonda brought up, is, is soothing, is uh, something that we we need. We're, we're creatures of habit. Um, and people with disabilities are no different. Um, and in many cases, especially adults with disabilities who receive services, there's, they have a very clear routine every single day. And when that's disrupted, um, they're not always as resilient um, as some of the rest of us. Um, and so I think about uh, kids and adults who have autism spectrum disorders. That disruption of routine can be incredibly, incredibly stressful. And so figuring out ways as a family or as a community, um, as a neighborhood, to really uh, reestablish some of that routine and to provide that, that comfort and that predictability um, that people with disabilities, well, that we all, it's not just people with disabilities, that we all need and we all crave um, can be really, really important as well. Those some some great ideas, and I imagine uh, you know if you're wondering how to help a family who has a person with disabilities, uh, maybe just contact them and ask, well, how how best can I help? That might exactly, that'd be the good. Yeah. yeah, reach out. I mean, we don't always think about that because again, most of the supports that people with disabilities receive are are paid supports um, through Medicaid or families private pay to have therapists and day habilitation providers come in and. And help, um, but when those supports aren't available because the disability service agency, um, the provider, uh, has their staff, you know, working from home. We're also seeing a lot of turnover in terms of uh, direct support staff now, uh, so they're not as available. Um, and so, yeah, those those typical supports aren't there, and we don't always think about, you know, how can we support these people with disabilities. So really just reaching out. If you have a neighbor who, you know, has a child with an autism spectrum disorder, you know, uh, reach out and say, is there something I can do to help you? Can, can I give you a break, you know, just an hour? Um, something like that can make a big, big difference in terms of resilience and mental health. We'll, uh, we'll uh, continue this discussion, of course, uh, much else to, to talk about. We're talking about resilience and uh, especially how we can be resilient with all that's happening with the coronavirus, including uh, physical distancing. Uh, also, we're talking about how this is impacting children and individuals with disabilities. And our guests include uh, Vonda Jump Norman, USU Assistant Professor of Social Work and Director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place in Logan, Matthew Wappet, Director of USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, and Kevin Webb, Associate Director of the iSystem Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies and a licensed uh, social worker. Project Resilience, by the way, is made possible in part by our UPR members, the Utah State University uh, Center for Persons with Disabilities, and the Family Place. We'll have more following this. Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams, who is a part of UPR's uh, Project Resilience today, we're talking about how to be resilient with all that's happening with the coronavirus, including uh, physical distancing. And we're also talking about how all of this is impacting children and individuals with disabilities. 
I want to know how this is all impacting you and what you're doing. Um, you have all the kids home and are tensions rising? Uh, what uh, techniques are you using? Uh, how are you talking about this in your family? Uh, maybe you're alone, and uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, uh, weighing on you. Um, I'd, like, I'd like to hear your experience. You can you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I'll turn uh, uh, first in this segment to uh, Kevin Webb. So uh, one of the things that I hear, you know, talking to people, and, and we can imagine one of the biggest things we're dealing with here is fear of the unknown. You know, am I going to get, uh, you know, am I going to get COVID-19? Um, when is this all going to end? Uh, am I going to have a job at the end of this? Uh, there, there's a lot of unknowns out there. I wonder what your suggestions would be how to cope with the unknowns. Well, thank you. Um, yes, there are a lot of unknowns out there, and uh, the eye system, the identity system, plays havoc with these unknowns, you know, because uh, it also thrives off of predictability and thrives off of uh, we've got to know exactly what to expect and I have to know exactly what's going on. And uh, that's just uh, not possible in today's world with what's going on, uh, that, that we have to be flexible. And in order to do that, uh, we have to recognize you know, when we are starting to play these stories in our head about 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 this, well, I have to know this, I have to know that, and and then we have to catch ourselves and and say, hey, you know, this is this is my identity system that's producing this right now, and then I'm going to come to my senses, I'm going to um, listen to background sounds, I'm going to fill the fabric of my clothing, you know, and and I'm going to go out and take a walk. Uh, physical exercise is really important. Uh, take care of yourself, you know, physically, eat well, uh, get get rest, um, establish as much of a routine as you can, um, knowing that your routine could change at any minute and and knowing that, that you, you need to be flexible to be able to handle that. And also parents, um, you know, the children are going to, are probably not going to handle it any better than the parents do. So as parents are able to take care of themselves and, and do some of these things, then the children will also deal with it better because they will take their cues off of the parents. You know, so it's important, you know, with youth um, that we, as Vonda was saying earlier, that we listen to them, that we validate their feelings, which means that we listen for the feeling that we hear them saying and we simply repeat the feeling back to them. We don't necessarily have to parrot back everything they say, but just pick the feeling or thought, man, that's frustrating right now. Man, that's a difficult thing right now. And really normalize their thoughts by helping them to label their thoughts and label their feelings, what they're feeling. You know, and, and for, for uh, adolescents, you know, encouraging journaling and letting them write their feelings down. Uh, we have a thing called a map, a skill we call mapping, where a person will write a troubling situation in the center of a paper and put an oval around it, and then all around that they'll write all their thoughts and feelings about that and kind of get those out on paper. And there's something that happens when a person writes it down versus just talking about it. So as well as talking about it, it's important to do that as well and let them talk. And then also with younger children, you know, letting the child lead in, in the play, play with your child and let the child lead and be an appreciative participant as a parent. You know, announce their play as if you were a radio announcer and, and, and don't interrupt their play, but kind of just be there with them and be with them in their play and, and don't take over the play, but, but, but let them direct you and tell you what to do in their play. It gives them a sense of power and control. And then also sensory play with kids. You know, you want to allow kids to uh, to do water play, you know, they, this is the time to allow kids to do messy play. And sometimes that you're going to have to go outside and get in the mud and the dirt to do that. But water play, sand play, Play-Doh, lotion, get the lotion out, you know, even on the, even on the, the latency age kids and, and, you know, lotion up their hands with, with lotion or hand sanitizer and, and, and do that as a parent. It, 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 it you have that sense of, of touch and connection, and, and, and at home with the parent, you're probably the only one that can have that sense of touch and connection with the child at this time. You know, there's also things like playing in, in, in rice and, and putting shaving cream on a cookie pan and filling it 
and really activating the senses through the play. And that all helps to a child to self-soothe and comfort as they rest their own identity system. Yeah, that, that all sounds fun. That's, <laughs> I don't have kids at home. Maybe I'll go home and do that anyway. Um, I, I have a question uh, that's come in that's uh, sort of unrelated. I'll, I'll uh, direct this to Kevin Webb, but anybody else uh, of our guests who can answer this. It has to do with the census. And of course, there are difficulties uh, with, with all of this with the census. And uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross says that, uh, that perhaps the deadline for the census might be extended past uh, July uh, 31st. Uh, because of this, but this particular question has to do with students. Uh, students are normally counted in the census where they are at that point, which is uh, the the point is April first, which is normally on campus. And uh, so, as students going home, they'll be counted elsewhere, and that could um, have an effect on on you know services and and uh, because the census affects uh, money coming from the federal government and and a lot of other things. Uh, Kevin, what do, I wonder if you have a comment on that. Well. Um, I really don't know that much about that, uh, but, you know, that's very possible. That could impact things, I guess. I don't know. Um, as far as, as I understand, um, my understanding is that the funding streams are, are going to be, um, you know, held stable and whatnot, but, but truly speaking, I don't know that much about that. I know that, I know that the funding that funds the iSystem Institute is stable and and that will continue on providing services to the community. I know, I know that Utah State University is committed to continuing to provide services. Uh, Kevin Webb, are you there? So it sounds like we've, uh, we've lost Kevin. We'll, we'll get him back here. Let me turn to uh, Vonda Jump Norman. Um, I want to talk about um, isolation. Uh, so for, for some families, it's everybody together, and that's causing stresses. For other individuals, perhaps including the elderly, um, it's 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 maybe you're isolated in place, and uh, th- that's got to have uh, deleterious effects. Yeah, that 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 can be really hard for a person, particularly if they're feeling isolated. And that's why reaching out, you know, for the person who feels isolated, being able to re- reach out to the people who are important in his or her life, and connecting. All of us, you know, one of our major needs is to connect with other people. And since we can't do that physically as much right now, being able to do it in other ways, like to do it virtually. And when we get into that moment where we feel self-isolated, or we're feeling really alone, that's probably one of the hardest times to actually reach out. And like Kevin was saying, we begin to have these these messages to ourselves of, that are just incorrect, but they're very powerful. And what we have to do is we have to cognitively break that cycle. We have to say, just like Kevin said, this is just a thought. This is what I'm feeling right now, and that's not true. We have to break that. There's some research on happiness that indicates that happiness is 50% genetic. You know, how happy we feel is about 50% genetic, 10% based on our circumstances, like being isolated and um, maybe not having the job we would like to have, and then 40% on intentional activities. And this is where the human brain is so powerful. What we choose to focus on is what we get. And so when we're feeling alone, we can magnify that so much. And what we have to do is be aware and stop that. And and actually do things that will take away our isolation by reaching out to other people, by doing something nice for somebody, you know, just getting out of our own situation and doing service for somebody else increases our feelings of well-being and connectedness, I don't know, 100%. Mm. 
so I wonder, early in the program, I had you define resilience. I wonder if you could define that again, and then I have a follow-up question. Sure. That's our ability to, to do well despite circumstances that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something, um, you know, we certainly practice that <laughs> when something like this happens. Uh, do we need to be have built up resilience before heading into something like this, or is something like this an opportunity to to become more resilient? Both are true, actually. You know, we build up resilience through our connections with other people, through relationships, and we. this situation is a great opportunity for resilience as well. And part of that depends on what we're focusing on. So if we can be thankful for the things that we have and the relationships that we have. We can, we can express gratitude on a daily basis and focus on the things that are positive in our lives. We can look at the strengths of our kids. You know, sometimes it's easy to focus on how loud they are, how, wow, they're just active all the time. If we can focus on the gifts that our kids have, and of course, each of our children have different gifts. And there's a survey called the Character Strength Survey, which, Tom, I would love to potentially get that to you to put it on the um, UPR website. So okay. that, um, that might be something that parents and kids could do, like a parent could do it for each of their children, and children can do it for themselves as well. Uh, that's great. Yeah, send that to me, and we'll get that up on our website. Yeah, thanks. Uh-huh. Um, uh, if you just joined us, we're talking about resilience. It's part of the UPR's Project Resilience, this program is, and uh, we're talking with Vonda Jump Norman, uh, USU Assistant Professor of Social Work and Director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place in Logan. Matthew Wapit is with us, Director of the USU Center for Persons with Disabilities. Kevin Webb, uh, we've uh, got you back. Sorry about uh, dropping you there. Associate Director of the I-System Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies. He's a licensed social worker. Project Resilience is made possible in part by uh, UPR members, the Utah State University Center for Persons with Disabilities, and the Family Place. I want to turn next to uh, Matthew Wapit. Um, so putting your researcher hat on, Matthew Wapit, um, I know that you conduct research uh, about the effects of laughter. <laughs> that is uh, that is true, and it seems like that would come in. It seems like that would come in handy right now. Uh, it does. There's um, oddly enough uh, a lot of interesting research around laughter and the therapeutic benefits of laughter. It's a natural response. It's a natural response to stress in our body, um, and when, when we find time and structure, uh, structure time in our daily lives to just laugh, um, you know, it does a lot of the things that typical antidepressants and other things do. So when you laugh, um, you know, you release dopamine, serotonin, which are kind of the good, the feel-good hormones, um, which it also re- results in a decrease in the stress hormone, so adrenaline, uh, and cortisol. Uh, the other interesting thing about laughter, though, that, that is a little bit unique as a physical uh, phenomenon is that it also releases oxytocin. And so oxytocin is sort of the trust hormone. It's something that makes you feel connected with others. And so when you laugh with another person, um, that oxytocin is released, and it makes you feel like a physical connection. It makes you trust that person. And so, you know, laughter is a really interesting way to uh, to create connection and to stimulate that sort of trust and social and social bonding um, in difficult times like this. And there's people online who do uh, laughter sessions online. There's Skype laughter groups. There's you can type in laughter yoga um, and and go sort of follow people doing these silly laughter yoga. Uh, exercises. Um, but yeah, laughter can be a really, really important mechanism for managing our stress. Unfortunately, in the West here, uh, we've typically seen laughter as meaning that you're, you're silly or you're, you're, you're not a serious person. And unfortunately, we've sort of removed it from our everyday life. 
but you know, if you can find ways to bring it back in, I can guarantee you'll see benefits. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I should have known there's a, there would be a laughter yoga group, right? There, uh, there's a lot of laughter yoga groups. I'm I don't think there's one here in Logan. I used to facilitate a laughter yoga group uh, in Idaho before I moved here to Utah, um, and we would get together uh, twice a week and we would laugh for 30 minutes. Uh, together, and it was a remarkable, uh, just a delightful thing to do. And you say there's Skype groups. I, I was uh, going to have there a que- you know a question. I wonder what if I don't feel like laughing. I guess you can you can join the Skype group, and they'll get you. They'll get you laughing. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. They can. And yeah, or you can just go online, go into YouTube, and type in laughter yoga. And there's all sorts of people out there who are uh, who you you can watch videos and follow along with them. Laughter yoga. Laughter yoga isn't about humor. It's not about telling jokes and things. It's actually doing silly little exercises. The great thing about laughter is that um, you don't have to be funny to laugh, and you don't have to have a sense of humor to laugh. Laughter is a natural response, and when we hear people laugh, um, we naturally um, want to laugh in response. Uh, and so just hearing somebody laugh can uh, can stimulate your laughter, and uh, and yeah, and then you get the benefits of it. <laughs> Very, very good. Uh, well, we're, we're down to about five minutes left in the program. I want to sort of uh, quickly go around the, the panel uh, for some last words. And uh, uh, Kevin Webb, anything else you'd like to say? But I, I'd like to have you address just briefly, um, you know, there might be, I talked with Vonda Jump Norm about people who may be isolated, maybe alone, uh, perhaps uh, as a person, maybe you're listening and you're feeling like, man, I'm, I need some help. And it can be kind of a catch-22. Sometimes when people need help, they don't want to reach out. Uh, what would you say to those folks? Well, I think it's important to reach out and um, connect with people around you. And, um, you know, there's, there, there are many therapists now that are uh, doing, uh, you know, sessions online. And you can connect with them that way. And if you need to connect with a therapist or a family friend, a, a neighbor, text somebody. You know, there's different, various ways to communicate other than just just verbally, you know, over the phone. You can, you know, text, send an email, do something. But don't, but don't just sit there and, and don't reach out for help. You know, reach out. Uh, very good advice. Uh, tell us again, Kevin Webb, uh, how people can find information on the uh, iSystem Institute. Okay, it's i-system.usu.edu. All right. You can find out uh, about uh, mind-body bridging there, right? That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, let's turn to Vonda Jump Norman. Um, just have a, a minute or two for, for, for this. Uh, what's your final words of uh, advice to people? Well, I would say take this moment. It's, it's an unprecedented opportunity. We may never have it again. Reach out for resources. I know that I... I and to not have lots of great ideas sometimes. I'm like, oh, what can I do when I'm caring for my four-year-old grandson today? Um, what? And, you know, there are great resources out there. The Family Place has resources for parent-child activities as well as virtual fir- um, field trips. The extension.usu.edu website, if you go into the COVID-19 section, they have all sorts of mental health, parenting ideas. For They have a list of over 200 activities that parents can do with their children. And don't feel like you're in this alone. This is a difficult and unprecedented situation. So many of us are just punting day by day, and what we have to do is have confidence in ourselves, know that it's going to be okay. Our, our government is working hard to make sure that people who have been impacted financially can recover, and we're going to come together. We have the most amazing community, and we're going to come out of this stronger on, on the other side. If you want to laugh... Um, Go to Facebook, and Green Canyon High School has posted a video about how the teachers are missing the kids. And it's very, very fun and very touching. 
I'll check that out. That does sound like fun. Um, and then, uh, Vonage Jump Norman, you're going to send me that uh, that uh, that link, and we'll put that on our website as well. Just a reminder. So. Yes. yes. Um, so just about a, a minute uh, left. Uh, Matthew Wapit will give you the last word today. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're looking for, Vonda's pointed out some great resources. Um, there's other resources on our website, cpd.usu.edu. And if you are a, a family concerned about the mental health of yourself or your or an individual or a child with a disability, uh, we have a project, the National Training Center on Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities, and you can check out some resources there, mhddcenter.org. And then I would, I'm going to just going to plug your website too, Tom. The Project Resilience site on UPR also has a lot of tips and, and other resources for folks who are trying to build their resilience. Very good. Um, and this program today is part of UPR's Project Resilience. And Project Resilience is made possible in part by our uh, UPR members, Utah State University Center for Persons with Disabilities, and the Family Place. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Kevin Webb, Associate Director of the I-System Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies and Licensed Social Worker. Kevin Webb, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate all you do there. Uh, we've been talking with Vonda Jump Norman, USU Assistant Professor of Social Work and Director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place in Logan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for, for all your good work. And uh, Matthew Wapit has been with us. He's the Director of the USU Center for Persons with Disabilities. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, Tom. And uh, thanks for the good work that you do. Uh, and uh, should mention that uh, tomorrow we're going to uh, do another in our series of uh, uh, periodic series, um, intermittent series of programs. What are you reading? So we're going to ask you what you're reading. Uh, so we'll ask you to send us your book list uh, to upraxcess at gmail.com. You can send that right now and uh, hope you'll join us during the program beginning at uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll have with us um, by phone um, Elaine Thatcher. Avid reader and UPR uh, supporter and uh, booksellers. We're going to expand the program this time around. What are you reading, but also what are you watching? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, how are you keeping yourself entertained uh, during these extraordinary times? That's the program tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. <laughs>